Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to the EFT Healing Center Online Radio Network. Tap into your fullest potential. I'm your co-host, Scott Patton, and joining us is the founder of the EFT Healing Center, Annabelle Fisher. Hey, Annabelle, how are you doing today? Hello, Scott. I am great. Thank you. How are you doing? I am, I am doing wonderful. It's been a beautiful, sunny day. Uh, the tapping that we did last time has really uh, opened up a whole new world. And, Very uh, good. Are you prepared yes. to take action? I have been taking action. And, uh, <laughs> Very it's good. Been, it's been wonderful. And it's always amazing to me how just taking the steps uh, creates so much uh, empowerment, confidence, self-esteem, uh, and good results. And there are times when they don't always look uh, good in the moment, but then after reflection or after everything's kind of settled down it's like oh yeah that's really uh, that's really good and one of the things that uh, that I've done uh, since we talked was uh, I have a podcasting platform of course it's the one that delivers the EFT Healing Center show to the hundreds of thousands of people around the world that it does and I had a problem with the programmer and the programmer actually was uninterested in continuing but uh, our deal was such that it was very hard for me to get rid of him because of the way we had originally set it up. And so we had sent him an email and and uh, kind of gone back and forth. And this has been actually a six-month process. But the uh, but when I say that, it was like we had a short discussion six months ago and then nothing <laughs> until uh, a day after we did the tapping last time. Mm-hmm. And then he came back with, a more reasonable position and then I came back with uh, something and then he said uh, you know okay and then it all worked out uh, very very well but the fact that you know we I and my other partner were pro- procrastinating on our next steps and no we know we should and blah I mean just like blah 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 in the head and uh, here we were you know we did the tapping we got the the currency of bravery going and taking action and we realized that we were actually uh, um, exchanging short-term gains for long-term pain because six months we've been struggling with this thing and not doing struggling but taking no action whereas uh, just uh, about three emails we had the whole thing solved so I'm oh, wondering, wondering. Like, why didn't we do that like six months ago <laughs> yeah isn't it funny that uh, when we look back and reflect it all appears so easy and yet when uh, perhaps you were in the thick of it it didn't seem easy at all it seemed convoluted and complex and and there are all different aspects to consider um, and I think uh, it's interesting uh, what you mentioned at the beginning, Scott, about uh, sometimes we may not n- observe the changes uh, or the cognitive shifts so quickly. Uh, but one thing I notice with many of my clients is uh, they'll say to me, by the time I got home after a session or a few hours after a session, I started to realize such and such, or I mm. felt very different. And uh, this is exactly what we would expect with EFT, because remember, the purpose of EFT is we're straightening out the energy system. So it does take time, just as a muscle starts to relax over time as it's massaged 
finished, for example. So uh, it doesn't immediately relax, especially if it's been working hard and it's really stressed. So with the um, energy system uh, that's disrupted, it may take some time to straighten itself out. Uh, it's not going to be instantaneous. And so people will observe changes and have realizations and insights over the course of time, uh, which I think is phenomenal. And often what's really exciting about EFT is we might not observe the changes in ourselves, but the people around us are observing them. Uh, so Absolutely. It, it's not uncommon for my clients to say to me, um, oh, um, a, a number of relatives or friends have mentioned that I've changed or I've, uh, I'm doing something differently or I appear to have more confidence or I'm laughing more or whatever it is. Um, and perhaps that person may not have realized that themselves, but it took that objective perspective to, to draw their attention to it. And uh, this is, is one of the beauties of EFT, that those changes can be so subtle within us that we might not realize that they're happening, uh, but people around us are observing them. That's really, really cool. And I've noticed that with uh, you know, some lim limiting beliefs that I've had around this particular incident, which was, you know, uh, I really believed that he wasn't willing to be reasonable, for example, and turned out, to be quite honest, more than reasonable, right? Uh, and it, so it's just interesting how my perception, what I believe about the situation, uh, really impacted how I behaved in the situation. Yes, exactly. Uh, that It's fascinating, isn't it? Because... Um, uh, I mean, a limiting belief or a belief in general is exactly that. It's our perception. So if I'd come along and observed it as a bystander, I may have said to you, but no, Scott, that, that's not what I perceive at all. I can see he's doing this or you're doing that. Uh, so it's, it's all very internal. And the, the, of course, we're looking at it through our own filters. And most specifically and most importantly, those filters are created by our past. Uh, so oh. because my past is very different to yours, as, as my past is very different to everyone's because it's unique to me and likewise to you and, and everybody listening, uh, we, uh, we create our perspective, our outlook um, as a result of our past. So that's why the filters that I have are entirely different to yours. So as you were looking at the situation that had dragged on for some months and uh, considering resolution and, and, of course, other emotions and feelings were coming up, which, of course, heightened the situation even more. If you'd been looking at it from a complete uh, place of neutrality, it, there wouldn't have been any intensity around it. It wouldn't have been mm -hmm. half as impactful, but, but there were, I'm, I'm sensing there were feelings and emotions that were present. And that would have created even more of a filter as well. So then uh, that's when the subconscious goes into overdrive and starts with all its self-talk. Uh, so for I'm, I'm not suggesting you did think like this, Scott, but things like, um, I always find myself in these situations or see how he's taking advantage of me. This always happens. These people take it. I'm always taken advantage of in business, that kind of. How do I get out of this situation? Yes. How do I get out of this situation? I, I always feel trapped with that kind of person. These kind of these uh, are um, mantras, so to speak, that start circulating and percolating in our minds and going on and on and building and, and gaining momentum. 
um, and, and all because of the filters that you're observing, uh, sorry, th the filters through which you are observing the situation. Uh, so I might have stepped into that situation and because I hadn't experienced whatever it is that you experienced in your past, I would have responded in an entirely different way. Uh, I'd have made different suggestions, my outlook would have been completely different. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally see how that could be. And then, of course, the he the limiting belief gets in the way of uh, what we were talking about last week, about the currency of uh, bravery or or the short-term pain versus long-term gain or short-term gain versus long-term pain. And I kept going for the long-term pain because of these beliefs that I had that ended up not actually being true when we actually, when we got down to the nitty-gritty and really communicated. Absolutely right, yes. I mean, the, the, our beliefs are, uh, are, are there to, well, we have a choice. They either fully empower us, so we really step up to the plate and, and move to the edge and uh, progress forward in a very positive way, or they completely hold us back and are thoroughly debilitating. Uh, because what's extraordinary about beliefs is that they become our truths. So there's no definite, there's no distinction as far as the subconscious goes uh, to to think, well, is that really reality? It, it's taking on uh, the belief as the truth, and therefore that's how we see the the person, the environment, the world. Um, and so again, it goes back to the filters. This is uh, this is the way that I'm looking through the world, uh, through at, through my filters uh, at the world, and therefore it must be right. He he must be wanting to take advantage of me, or I will never be good enough, or uh, rich people are are rude, or um, or mean, or something like that. Uh, right. I mean, um, money does grow on trees. All the kind of uh, beliefs that are, are whirring around um, people's heads at the time, and they become the truth. Um, so how do these limiting beliefs come to be? Well, it, it's extraordinary that uh, events happen in, in our past. And of course, by our past, I mean it could have been this morning, or in your case, uh, uh, the recent months, or it could be when we were three years old. Um, and our subconscious does a great job of blurring out, uh, as I mentioned just now, fact and fiction and, and reality. It kind of just molds it into one and makes it the truth. Uh, so, for example, if somebody uh, is at school, in fact, why don't I use my example? Uh, when I was at school, I was, I'm trying to think, probably about nine years old, and I was a dreamer. Gosh, I, uh, my imagination was quite extraordinary. I would uh, look out of the window and start to imagine uh, I was outside playing with animals and I was off going to flying to foreign lands and all sorts of amazing adventures. Um, why? Well, probably because I wasn't very stimulated in the classroom. But anyway, my, my teacher, when I was nine, came up to me one day and said, um, Annabelle, you will never amount to anything. Um, and then said something else or whatever he said. But I didn't hear anything else. All I heard was, I'll never amount to anything. So this Ouch. was uh, this was a high emotional impact event. Now, at the time, I probably uh, was, was upset. I wasn't perhaps consciously aware of uh, the impact. 
Uh, I certainly don't recall lying awake at night thinking, oh, Mr. Phillips said this to me. Uh, it, it, it was said, and then I guess as a kid, I moved on. However, something shifted for me in my subconscious, and the automatic assumption was for me, um, I will never be good enough. So what happened was I then went to what's called secondary school in the UK and then on to sixth form college, which is a couple of years before university, and then uh, into university. And I was a highly driven student, high, highly motivated. And uh, I pushed and pushed and pushed myself because I had the mantra going, I'll never be good enough. And so somehow through academia, perhaps I could prove to whoever, whoever it was, maybe prove to Mr. Phillips that I would be good enough. Uh, so what that led into for me was perfectionist tendencies. I could never quite reach the ceiling. And when I did reach the ceiling, the ceiling rose. So it was constantly out of reach for me. And I mean, and so it goes on. It just spiraled and spiraled because then that le led to feeling I was an underachiever. I never felt particularly accom I'd accomplished much because I was always striving for the next thing, which was just slightly out of reach uh, because there were those perfectionist tendencies. So what happened was that one event um, was kind of blurred and then that created for me uh, the, the decision in my mind that I was not good enough. Uh, now, there were probably other um, high emotional impact events that happened, I can't think off the top of my head, but which would then have supported Mr. Phillips's comment. Perhaps other teachers inferred that I wasn't very good at certain subjects uh, or I wouldn't amount to something. And then, so the cycle would be perpetuated. Wow. And so what's interesting, Scott, is uh, everything, when I talk about blurring, uh, other realities are ignored. So, for example, um, at school I was very creative, I was, ver I was very artistic, um, and I played the tenor horn and the French horn. Uh, I loved music, I loved singing, uh, I wasn't very good at art, I have to say, uh, but I loved, I loved music, I loved drama, uh, but all of that... Um, I ignored. I ignored all those skills and, and gifts that I had. Um, I loved history and geography um, and uh, social sciences. Um, but I, And I focused all the time on um, the subjects I wasn't very good at, like maths and sciences. So again, that mm. kept driving me. Well, no, I, here's the evidence. I'm, I'm not good enough. These are subjects that I'm poor at or I'm weak at. But of course... Yes, that was true. I wasn't so great at those subjects, and I was brilliant at other subjects. <laughs> Only because of my filters, I was ignoring the other subjects. I was focusing on the ones that I believed were more important. Right. Wow. That's an amazing story. And and I think it happens to all of us where we just say we discount where where we're really good and where we're really strong. And then we focus on the areas that were not that good. And, of course, then we're going, oh, well, then I guess I must be, uh, you know, a schmuck or not good enough or all the rest of it. That's right, yes. I mean, it's very easy for the subconscious to take on that role because, remember, it's there to protect us. It wants to keep us safe. 
Uh, so uh, it, it's, its sole purpose is for us to survive uh, and not perhaps go over to the, the realm of possibilities and even acknowledge, uh, hey, I'm actually really quite good at music, for example. It's more about mm. the, the survival through the subjects that I didn't enjoy and I wasn't particularly good at. Uh, I mean, now I can look back with clarity because I'm older and I look at my school days as a whole collective um, and think, yeah, that subject uh, was, didn't appeal to me in the slightest for various reasons. And what do you know? I wasn't very good at it. Well, of course not, because I had no motivation or interest to be good at it. Uh, but for the subjects that I loved and I thrived in, uh, yeah, I was pretty good at those. I got good grades. You, uh, you, you brought me back to my uh, university years. And I was... I <laughs> I was told you needed a 2.0 grade average to graduate. So guess what my average was? 2.2. Just in case I had a, made a mistake somewhere. Yeah. And I remember in my last year of university, at the beginning of it, thinking, you know, I have got no A's in any course. And I think it would be really sad to look back at my years at university, four years, and not say, yeah, I got an A. And as you can imagine, with that type of attitude, A's were not incredibly important to me at all. <laughs> and uh, But I thought I would really like to have an A. So the last semester, I got an A in a course. And it just so happened the course was um, a, a group course where you had to interact with people and be social. And it was like a psychology type of course, although I was in... Uh, business administration and commerce for my degree. So it was like a total non-business type course, even though it was put on by the faculty of business. And it involved, uh, you know, writing, being creative, opposed to, you know, some, what you might think of finance or accounting, which would, has not really got that same type of creativity in it. And, uh, and it was effortless. Mm. Like it was just completely effortless. And in fact, when I wrote uh, the term paper, which both the teaching assistant and the teacher gave me uh, A plus for, it was more uh, like a comedy than it was, uh, you know, a dry thesis. So as you could imagine, um, fourth year university, everyone concerned about, you know, passing and very, very serious. And you're a professor and you're reading 58 papers that are all about as boring as you could possibly imagine <laughs> and you get Scott's and he's telling all these stories that are related to the question that we're supposed to be talking about but they're hilarious like and I'll give you just a quick example so you get a, a taste of what I'm talking about my locker was right beside the woman's bath uh, washroom okay right so every woman if she had to go to the washroom she walked by my locker right and I'd had it for three years. So one of the people in this class came up and was talking to me at my locker. And, and he says, wow, he says, this is a great locker, right? Because all these cute uh, co-eds would be walking by all the time. <laughs> I says, yeah. I says, and do you know what's even better? Because my locker was open. It was a full-length locker, uh, you know, with stuff hanging in it. I says, there's a hole in the back of my locker. You can see right in. He goes, what, really? <laughs> Sticks his head right in my locker, and it's, and it's there for about a minute. 
because he is so embarrassed he doesn't want to pull his hair out, <laughs> right? And he was bright red. So this story, of course, related to something in terms of social proof, or I forget what, and I wrote the story. So they kept writing. I've never laughed so hard in my life in the, in the sides of this paper because there would be one story after another after another of all these funny things that our class did, right? And I got the A. So it's it just, uh, as you're talking about it, it's just like, I think, wow, you know, I could have straight A's in university. It's easy. I just have to take courses that I'm excited and passionate about instead of statistics and ma and uh, business math and accounting that just bored me to tears. That's right, because of course, where we have a passion for something, a curiosity and interest, of course we're going to excel because everything within us becomes alive. Our energy system, our, our nervous system, it, it's all in alignment to uh, what we want and need out of life. Uh, so for students, I mean, I go back to the, the student analogy because I think it's a really good one. For, so for students that are kind of flogging away in subjects that they're uh, not excelling in, um, then uh, often uh, it's not considered, well, why not? Well, perhaps there's not an interest here. So what kind of limiting beliefs are created for children at school uh, simply because they're uh, struggling in a subject, and that is because they have no interest in it? Mm -hmm. um, and going, uh, returning to EFT with regards to the limiting beliefs, um, it's so it's often um, a, a rather grey area of how to address limiting beliefs with EFT. Because, for example, if I had uh, when I first learned EFT, if I tapped on, even though I think I'm not good enough. I accept myself anyway, that kind of thing. Well, that's true. That is, that is how I felt at the time. Um, and I am acknowledging how I'm feeling, as we're instructed to do with EFT. But that is the tabletop, as I call it. And we need to get to the root as to why I feel that way. In other words, the table legs. Mm, I was going to say, like, we need to get to the table legs. Exactly. Um, so I think one of the biggest impediments to EFT is that people people address the tabletop and then their response is, well, I don't feel any different. I still know that I'm not good enough. Uh, mm. Well, yes, because they haven't really honed in on any, any reason to, um, to connect uh, why they're not uh, feeling very good. Um, or why, for example, they feel unlovable, or why they uh, don't deserve to be affluent. So affluent meaning uh, or abundant in the way of financial gain or have, uh, have a joyful relationship or whatever it could be. Undeserving is a feeling undeserving of something is a huge limiting belief. But these always have to stem from somewhere. Going back to your question of well, how do these limiting beliefs start, um, invariably there is that one high impact. Uh, event that then um, that is not really resolved and then other events continue uh, so that the person then is reminded of the initial event like oh that's how I felt back then um, and then but this would be like subconscious right absolutely yes uh, so for example when I was at secondary school say I was 12 or 13 um, I, I had um, a maths teacher 
who funnily enough was Canadian as it turned out um, and he and I absolutely hated maths I struggled so much with it um, and he was very he was a very funny guy he was he brought a lot of humor into the class which was a light relief um, but he uh, often would um, ask me questions in class and then infer through humorous comments like wait for it girls like let, let's hear what the brain box here is going to say knowing that I'd mm. probably goof up so what would have happened for my subconscious is it would have connected back to Mr. Phillips's comment um, and then I'd have I would have then encouraged myself on a subconscious level to believe even more strongly that you see you're just not good enough you'll never be good enough you, you suck at maths well, indeed, my math skills were never that hot. However, um, if I'd sat in a, a class in music or something like that, then I'd have been soaring because I would have really enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. So yeah. with, with the EFT, I go back to m the initial memory of Mr. Phillips uh, because we don't, we don't want to get uh, to... Um, so the, the blurring um, suggests uh, like all, all teachers are mean or something like that um, uh, because one teacher said that because that can then be another limiting belief so get get to the specific event uh, that started the ball rolling if we can remember that far back um, and if that's not possible because uh, often clients will say to me well I really can't remember anything about my childhood but I do know three years ago um, somebody said something and I felt very small and insignificant. Uh, so we would just go back to that past event. Because most usually what happens, Scott, is if we start addressing a recent past event, if no earlier memory is available, as we tap um, and the meridian channels uh, start uh, the energy system in the meridian channel starts to balance itself out chances are the person will start to feel calmer and the subconscious will throw forward older memories so right when i work with clients often pe uh, people will say to me wow we're tapping on this and i've just remembered such and such that happened when i was a kid where did that come from right so it's kind of like a string of events going into our past and we may be able to go and say, you know what, when I was in grade one, or <laughs> an event just came up in my mind, when I was in kindergarten, the uh, the girl next door broke her arm, so they let her stir the cream when we were making butter twice. <laughs> so, -na 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 -na. and then when, then, then when I was in grade three, this ties in with it, when that and six, and then nine, and then university, and then kids, and blah, 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 so... But I might not remember that first event, but I do remember the one that that was built on that event of that happened two years ago. And then when we look at that one, oh yeah, now I remember the one that was five years ago. And then we'd work on that one, and then oh, now I remember the one that was ten years ago. Now I remember the one that was in grade three. Now I remember the one in kindergarten. So that's how you kind of it's sort of like digging to the root. But I'm realizing that when I'm talking about whatever happened when I'm in my say 40s that that probably isn't the root of the issue. That's probably not the leg. That's probably the table. So I don't go into it with the expectation that all of this stuff is going to unravel because I just dealt with this one incident that happened last week. I know that it's connected to other incidences that uh, go back into my past, and they come from 
that, uh, if we want to call it a weed, that has deep roots in my past, right? Yes, you're absolutely right, Scott. And you, you said it very clearly, too, because most people will jump in and address the most recent event. I addressed the most recent event. I'm now cured. Yeah. Well, how come it happened this again yesterday? Exactly. This is the thing. So somebody, uh, let, let's say uh, they have... Um, Okay, so I'm thinking of a client that I'm working with. Uh, she said she feels easily frustrated um, when she's talking with her partner. Um, and so we did address some of the things that uh, her partner and her discuss and why that might make her feel frustrated. Um, however, I said to her, this isn't the root. I mean, th this is uh, the symptom showing up from something at a much deeper level. And we need to go back earlier to, to locate why uh, you, you would feel this way when you're having these specific conversations with your partner. Um, so I asked her to think about a conversation that she'd had recently with him. Um, and she, she told me briefly and then I said and what does your body feel like so she described it and I said and if that feeling could talk to me what would it say and she said um, that my body feels lonely and empty so I thought oh great let's grab onto that so I said tell me a time in the past where you felt lonely and empty and she was able to hone in straight away it was some quite intense and very traumatic period of her life uh, maybe about six six years ago perhaps um, and so we addressed all aspects of that and then uh, came back to the current situation the current frustrations and she felt complete entirely differently about all of that wow that's amazing yeah so people I think the uh, common mistake people make is they address something that's just happened and then as you mentioned just now they're surprised if it if they feel um, feel equally as frustrated for example uh, a few days later well chances are it's because there's a more deeply rooted uh, challenge going on and other aspects that simply haven't been addressed that that past recent past memory was one table leg That's so important to you know to get to the to get into the like it's kind of like taking a band-aid and putting it on a, a, a hand that's been cut off sort of thing you know like you got to do a little bit more than just uh, deal with the the kind of obvious top of mind issue that's there it's, it's all connected to something much usually way way deeper Yes, that's right. So, um, I mean, a lot of the work that I do with clients um, r around limiting beliefs often involves money. Uh, like, I, I don't deserve to be uh, wealthy. I don't deserve to earn a specific salary. Uh, and they give me a figure. Um, and that's a very frustrating and debilitating place to be because many of my clients are self-employed and they run their own businesses and uh, they, they deserve to have the success and financial freedom that they crave. Um, but again, where, what's going on? Where, what's the belief system there? Uh, well, it's often things like money doesn't grow on trees and rich people are evil um, and uh, money is to be given away, not to be kept, things like that. That's what I sometimes hear. Um, 
So uh, we can tap on those, even though I feel or I believe that rich people are evil. We can tap on that, but it's probably not going to make much of a difference. We need to get to the nitty gritty of what, where that belief stems from. Um, and another thing about the roots of limiting beliefs, of course, Scott, is uh, something may not necessarily have happened to us in the past. It may have happened to one of our parents. And of course, who are our role models? our parents. So as a child, if I observed my father or mother doing something or I overheard a conversation that they were having or a look on one of their faces, that could easily be, have been enough for me to create a limiting belief. Right. Especially as children, we take those things on like pretty much directly with no discernment compared to when we're Older. Absolutely. You're, that's a crucial word, the, the discernment. You're absolutely right. So invariably, a child may take on the responsibility of it's my fault, uh, simply because they've overheard a conversation uh, that their parents were having, which might not have actually even been about the child. Um, mm -hmm. Or they might have observed an action or a behavior and, uh, again, taken it on as the truth. And then that starts the limiting belief. But it was never there in the first place. They just adopted it because they observed it. They watched it. Um, so uh, I think if somebody um, is working on a limiting belief that they deserve to move on from now and let it go, uh, then and they feel like they've tapped on a couple of uh, events that may have triggered it, also think back to, was it something that I overheard my parents saying, or anyone else in authority, it doesn't have to be the parents, it could be teachers mm -hmm. or anybody else uh, who the child would have looked up to and held in high esteem. Uh, what, what did I observe? What did I overhear? Um, and did I take on that um, as my truth? Wow. That's pretty powerful stuff, Annabelle. It is. And having an, an awareness of it, once again, as I constantly say to you, Scott, just offers us an opportunity to be even more compassionate towards ourselves and uh, treat ourselves with kindness as well. I think that right. to me is the key with EFT. Uh, m most of the time, under the circumstances, we are doing our best. Uh, so having an awareness and a realization and then once we have that knowledge, ah, oh, maybe that's where it stems from. Now I have a tool that I can use to ease the burden of that memory, and I can mm. move on. Beautiful. So if somebody is now thinking, you know what, I've got some limiting beliefs, and I thought I was, you know, dealing with them, and maybe I'm not even doing much more than kind of surface stuff, I want to get into it in a lot more depth. Uh, what should they do? Yes, I will invite them to go to my website, www.theefthealingcenter.com. And uh, there's lots of resources on there. Uh, people can sign up for a complimentary 30-minute uh, phone appointment with me, and we can discuss your needs. Um, also, Scott, I'd like to uh, let the world know about the EFT gathering that's happening in Vancouver um, in the fall, and uh, that website address is www.CanadianEFTGathering. This is an awesome event. There are going to be a lot of EFT practitioners speaking and addressing all, any number of issues. So anyone with limiting beliefs is most welcome, and uh, they can hear some really fine speakers' uh, presentations, and there'll be lots of tapping demonstrations as well. 
Cool. And so that's www.canadianeftgathering.com? That's right. And the gathering will be held in Vancouver on the 29th and 30th of October. A great opportunity to share and make new EFT friends and network as well as, of course, increase uh, your skills and uh, improve your EFT results. Awesome. Well, that's really, really exciting. I'm looking forward to October. No <laughs> doubt about it. Can't come fast enough. <laughs> so thank you for joining us, everyone. Thank you, Annabelle, for taking time out of your busy day. I know that, uh, that you're booked up solid weeks and weeks and weeks in advance. Um, but head over to www.theefthealingcenter.com to find out more about Annabelle and about EFT. And then head over to www.canadianeftgathering.com to, to join us in what's going to be an amazing event because all the events you put on are just absolutely stunning. People come away with great insights and changes. It's life changes. Amazing. So thank you for joining us, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye.